transform what they currently have, is, which was originally building a gymnasium and now kind of a, a multi-purpose space. We're building a, um, designing and, and be, about to begin building a permanent stage, um, a worship area for us. Um, we hope that it seats a couple hundred people, maybe more, and that it's a, it's a permanent home for, for what we call revolution. So um, this is a very temporary um, solution for us, and we just thank you guys for graciously um, endeavoring with us as we, we work through this to hopefully land in a more permanent place. Um, with that in mind, if anyone, the only announcement that I have tonight, anyone who um, is potentially available tomorrow night around 7 o'clock, um, we will be taking down a lot of the stuff at the old building at 315 Chillicothe Street, a lot of the equipment um, and the, the things that are still there. Um, so we're definitely going to take down tomorrow night if you're available at 7 o'clock. And if enough folks show up that have trucks or vehicles that we can haul some stuff in, we're going to bring all that stuff back up here and, and get it stored away until we're ready um, with our new space that's going to be completed this summer. So that's my only announcement. I'm going to pray. And then um, we're going to start series through First John. I think you guys are really, um, I hope you really like because it's, it's a really good series. First John is a, um, a relatively small book but has a whole lot to say. Um, that I think is really practical and applicable to where we are um, today in, in, in our world and our lives. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that, um, as, as some of us have joked this week, it feels like we have been in place after place after place after place. But when you turn that around and you look at it, you have constantly provided a place after place after place for us to, to meet and to call home in a sense that as a body, as a family, we, come, we can come together on a weekly basis and we can worship you. We can grow in our knowledge of you through teaching, and we can prepare to serve you in this community, Lord. And I just pray that as revolution is about to turn the page into its fifth year, that you will just remind us that those, those simple three principles of worshiping you, growing in our knowledge of you, and serving you are things that we can focus on as we, as we look at how do we, how do we partner now um, in the kingdom with Christ Community Church and to show unity to this community, show people that you know, even though we might have our... Our subtle differences, our, our objective is to communicate the truth of the gospel, to show Christ's love to this community, to people who've either gone, gone to church and left or never been in church or people who just have found themselves in unfortunate circumstance. It's not, our, it's not our concern why they're there, Lord. It's our responsibility to reach out to them and to help them. And I just pray that as we have a fresh opportunity here, that you just give us a fresh set of eyes, a fresh look on how we can do that in this community that we call home. It's here now we pray. Amen. How are we doing, Revolution? Wow. That's like the best one ever. Maybe it's just because it's so small that, you know, I don't know. Um, this is really cool. This is going to be, um, I think, an awesome summer. Ryan's not real happy about the acoustic worship, but, you know, hey, even Kiss did an unplugged special, so it, it'll, it'll work, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and this is also kind of a new beginning in many ways because... You know, some of our mission is not going to change. We, we are still going to really storm the campus um, this fall um, and try to get, you know, reach out to uh, college students because no one else does. That's kind of our mission is to reach out to people that don't have a home church. Um, and then we're also really going to kind of focus over here, government housing over here, and, and see if we can reach out over there as well. Um, and we'll, we'll still be concentrating on the East End. The East End will be more of a focus working with Brian Daniels at, at Portsmouth First Nazarene Church 
and helping him in the East. And uh, if you don't know Brian, you know he's, he's just a great guy, and he's doing uh, just a great work down there. And we're really happy to partner with him. All right, First John, if you have um, a Bible, and if you don't, the blue Bibles are everywhere. We have plenty of those. So grab one and go to First John. If you don't know where that is, that is way in the back. If you've gone to the book of Revelation, you've gone too far. Um, you need to take a left turn. If you're still in the Gospels, you've got a way to go. So just keep, keep chugging through Paul, get through Hebrews, and you'll get to 1 John. It's not very long, so you can accidentally skip it. You want in the blue Bibles, you want to go to page... Somebody give me the page. 7... 743. Thank you, Autumn. And so 743... Um, that's where you want to go, and we're going to look at that. And I'm going to go through the first six verses tonight, and then we're going to slow down and go verse by verse. And, and what we're doing this summer is the, the, the theme is walking in the light, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? I mean, I get the number one question I get from people at Revolution over the years is, you know what, I'm not sure I'm a Christian because, you know, I, I, I'm not growing I'm still wrestling with this sin. I, I did this. So am I a Christian? Am I saved? And so we're going to try to answer at this summer. What does it look like to be a Christian? How does the Bible define what a Christian is? We know that in too many churches, and this really isn't a knock. This is just the way it is. In too many churches, the, the whole idea is, you know, if we say, hey, come and, and, and say the prayer, and you say the prayer, and you do that, and, and, and then you're a Christian. Um, but... The Apostle Paul would say, eh, not necessarily. You know, it's, it's, it's more complicated that it takes more than that. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Because 1 John, I think, really does outline what it means to be a Christian. All right, so good at 1 John. Here we go. Verse, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Now, the we, this is John, this is the apostle who, who walked with Jesus, right? The, and he, when he's saying we, he means the disciples. He's talking about him and his fellow disciples. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. In other words, he preaches and teaches Jesus Christ, whom we have heard and seen. In other words, I, okay, so John's throwing down his credentials right from the beginning, Right? Um, he's because this is a church in all likelihood where you've had some people come in and say, ah, you know, here's what Christianity is really about. You don't need to listen to those guys. And he's like, really? Because we studied under Jesus. We were with Jesus. Jesus commissioned us. Who are these guys? And so, right from the beginning, he's throwing down his credentials. Said. We proclaim to you Jesus Christ, whom we have heard and seen. And he goes on. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. That's a phrase John really likes to use. If you go to the Gospel of John, you see he really likes to use that. The word in Greek was this force that, that created, recreated, brought order. And so it is that, it is that which brings life, creates life, recreates life. Um, and verse 2, this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. He's repeating himself for a reason. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. 
He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. In other words, He left His throne in heaven and came to the disciples. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship, you may insert friendship in there, true, ongoing friendship with Him, with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. These are people who are persecuted, and yet they have joy. Now, this is where we're going to really land tonight, verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in Him at all. And we'll come back and talk about that in a second. So, we are lying if we say we have fellowship or friendship, the kind of friendship that, that, is, that is complete, what we have told you, you guys know the gospel, right? This is the core group. You guys should know the gospel by heart. You know that we are separated from God by sin. Only the death of Jesus brings us as one with Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' work totally that does that, right? And so that this, is, this is what he talks about when he's saying fellowship, this, this unity with God through the gospel, through our faith in Jesus Christ. So we are lying if we say a fellowship with God, but... Go on living in spiritual darkness. We'll unpack that. We are not practicing the truth. I, um, I committed when I said I would do this because this has been the number one question everybody has. I said when I committed to do this that what I would do is I would read as much as I could. I would do. I some, one time I heard that John MacArthur, when he prepares a sermon, reads 25 commentaries on each verse that he does. And so I was working through all these commentaries, and it was, it was pretty, pretty incredible to see the, the opinions um, on light and darkness, and it got a little heady, and, 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 and I've tried to distill it down. And working all that time on light and darkness, I, I kind of lost the forest for the trees for a while, and I kind of backed up, and I was thinking about it and praying about it the other day. And I just went back and reread it fresh, and it kind of hit me um, that if I were, you know, in the place of someone who didn't know whether or not they were a Christian, I think I would read this, and the first thing I think I would think is I'd be depressed. I, I think I'd be depressed because, and I think this often happens when we read the Bible, we read the Bible and it's depressing or it's alien because it seems so very different from what we're going through. Did it ever hit you? You read through the Bible and you're like, that's not my experience. This, this fellowship, this, this friendship, this joy, I don't see that. I don't see that in my life. I don't see that in the church. I don't see that in other churches. I don't see that this is not my experience. And the Bible sometimes can be that way. And can lead you to ask the question that we've been talking about. Am I even a Christian? What does it even mean to have faith in Jesus Christ. If fellowship with God is so readily available, it's just, it's so great, it's right there, why is there so little evidence of it? Am I off? You know, I, I remember the first time that I read through uh, the Bible when I was a new Christian, and after I'd been diagnosed with cancer, sitting down and going and reading from Genesis to Revelation. And after I got over the real weirdness of the Old Testament, then I get to the New Testament. And the New Testament wasn't as weird, but it was certainly just as strange. 
Where are these healings today? Where is all this great faith today? Where are these people under persecution that are praising God today? I just didn't see it. And so I was a new Christian, and I'd read the Bible, and I was already jaded. And I think that happens to a lot of people. But the thing about John is this. The other thing you need to remember about John that sometimes we lose track of is, John isn't a nutter, and he's not... He's not an ivory tower academician. He's not a Bible professor. He's not, you know, a, a mega church pastor. He's a small church pastor. John is a guy who goes from small church to small church, training pastors. He goes into town. He helps set up church. He helps set up a, a train new pastors and elders. He moves on. He does it again. John's a pastor. And you could not have this kind of ministry where you go from small church to small church and do this and preach this and for it to last any amount of time if it wasn't true. It would fall apart, right? This is why cults don't last, right? Cults always fall apart. You always have some guy who claims that, you know, he's got some secret knowledge or whatever, and then so the people kind of stick around, and then, but eventually they see the person lose it or whatever, like, that, that guy's full of it, and they walk away. That didn't happen. Church grew, continues to grow. So what's going on here? I think that John is saying this. I think if John were here, he would say this. There are things then... And things now that we put between us and God, and that is the reason we don't experience these things. As I I preached this morning, we clutter up our life with stuff. There's so much stuff between us and God. God gets so little attention from us, and yet we want so much from Him. Is that a fair statement? And I think John is saying, you've got to get rid of that stuff. There can't be anything. You know, we, get, we think we're really righteous. Like if you come to Christ Community Church, you go, you know, if you come Sunday morning and then you come tonight, you're like, oh, I'm a churcher. I'm going twice in a day. Some of you I know go to like Welcome Home Christian Fellowship on Saturday night. You go to another church on Sunday morning, you come here Sunday night, you're like, ha, ha, ha. Right? But do you know in the early church, they met every night? Every single night, they met in a home. Every night. They ate together every single night. They studied scripture together every single night. Why don't we do that? Because we have TV. Right? One advantage the early church has, there were no distractions. What else were you going to do? Right? Count flies? So they, they had this that was totally focused on, let's get together and just study God's Word and pray for each other and talk about Scripture, and they would do that every single night. And there, there were just fewer distractions, fewer things between them and God. We have so many things. I mean, while I'm preaching tonight, half of you will be going like this and hear about a tenth of the sermon. If the Reds were still playing, it would be like every guy would be out. They'd be refreshing every five seconds. Right? There is so many distractions where there's so many obstacles between us and God. And I think that is a huge part of the problem. And, and, and the biggest obstacle 
The most dangerous obstacle is what John is referring to here as darkness. Now, the problem with, with this is defining darkness in a dark world is pretty difficult. Seeing darkness in a dark world is pretty difficult because it's everywhere. We are surrounded by it all the time. It, it, and it's not just out there. It is in our mind. It is in our heart. It has darkened our soul in all of us. And so seeing that darkness is really, really tough. It's like, I love the speech by Daniel Foster Wallace, a, a late author. He gave one commencement address, and it was at, at Kent State. And he opened up his address by saying, you know, um, there are these two fish, young fish, and they're swimming along in the river. And an older fish comes to the two fish and goes, hey, boys, how's the water this morning? And the two young fish swim on, and one young fish looks at the other young fish and goes, what's water? Because when you're surrounded by something, you don't even notice it, Right? And that's the way it is with the darkness around us. And I'm, I'm reading through these commentaries on, on, on darkness. The Greek word is skotia. And of the 20-odd commentaries, like the 25 commentaries I read, I think there were 26 opinions on what darkness means here. Because the word skotia was used in so many different ways in Greek literature that it's hard to know exactly what John was saying, but there seem to be three like big meanings for darkness when people use the term darkness. The first one is uncertainty or confusion. Um, Plato, Homer, they use darkness that way. The darkness is, is something that happens um, to people that, and, and invades their mind and, and just results in a, a real confusion about the way things are. Plato and Homer used darkness as a term of, of people who just didn't understand life. Didn't understand what life was all about. Didn't understand where they were going or what was happening. And I think John used it that way. Darkness can also mean just doing evil. Evil moral acts. That was pretty common. I think John meant it that way too. And darkness is also used frequently in Greek literature, to mean despair, sadness, depression. That, does this have any meaning? If it's anything going on. And I think John meant it that way too. That's the brilliant thing about the Bible is again and again, you'll see like, you know, you, you, once you learn Greek, not that I recommend it, and you, you go through it and it's like, it can be 20 different definitions, which one is it? And the Bible's like, yeah. It can be all of them at the same time. And I think that's what's going on here. It's confusion. It's, it's evil. It's despair. And all of those are actually connected, if you think about it. All of them are connected. John draws this, 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 this stark contrast in, in, in 1 John. He says, there is light, there is darkness, God is light, and in God there is no darkness at all. All, a very strong statement. The way you would translate that from Greek is you would, and, and into English is you have to put lots of exclamation points. No darkness at all. So in God, there is no confusion. In God, there is no uh, despair. In God, there is no evil. They've got none at all. One comes from God. The other comes from Satan. 
And I think what John would say is the reason that we don't see what the early church had, the reason we don't know this kind of joy that he's talking about, the kind of joy where, where the disciples are hauled off to prison and they, and they start breaking into song because they're, you know, they count themselves worthy to, be, to, to, to suffer and they think that's a wonderful thing, is because we try to mix, we try to live with the darkness. We try to just be comfortable with the darkness. But as a Christian, living with the darkness is a little like having one foot in a raging fire and one foot in a freezer and saying, well, on the average, I'm okay. It doesn't work. John is saying you can't, you can't do that. You can't mix the two. You have to be at war with the darkness. You have to kill the darkness. You have to crush the darkness. You don't have a choice. How? How do you do this? How do you escape the, the confusion? How do you escape the evil? How do you escape the despair? Most of you know my favorite preacher um, is Tim Keller. And Tim Keller, I heard him once say, I think it was when he was preaching through Genesis, he said, the first you know, four words of the Bible are, um, in the beginning God, and the rest is just elaboration on that. Right? From Genesis to Revelation, it's just building on, in the beginning, God. I think John would say, and I think that's why he puts so much emphasis on proclaiming Jesus Christ. That we would proclaim Christ, we've seen Christ, we proclaim Christ, bring Christ that you always start with God. What a Christian has to do is always begin with God. And typically what we do is we begin with ourselves. Always. No matter what the situation. We begin with ourselves. We see what problem we have. We see what we want, what we don't have. And then we go to God. Am I alone there? But you have to start with God. You start with God with anything. God is the first question in whatever you do. Um, For those of you who took my apologetics class, you know that my favorite book from last year was Jim Holt's book, um, Why Does the Universe Exist? Uh, Jim Holt is, is a secular humanist writer for Slate Magazine, and he went around the world asking philosophers, mathematicians, you know, theologians, why is there something rather than nothing? Right? And a lot of philosophers couldn't answer that question. And, and Holt would push back on it. And, I mean, Holt is not a Christian. Holt does not even believe necessarily believe in God. He's wrestling with that question, but he says, but isn't that the first question? Doesn't that always have to be the first question? Is there a God? And if there's God, don't you have to start there? You think about it, nothing at all, no question you can, you can approach without first asking, is there a God? Is there right and wrong? Well, if there's not a God, there is no right and wrong. It's just your opinion, correct? If there is no God, it is just we decide right and wrong, kind of the majority decides kind of as we go which we have seen in the 20th century is really dangerous. Right? God is the first thing we always 
begin with Blaise Pascal had the famous wager, right? He says, you, everyone, everyone stakes their life on whether or not there's a God or not. Right? Pascal's wager. Sounds really harsh. A lot of people don't like it, but life pretty much boils down to this. There either is a God, and you have to submit to that God, or there isn't. Everything else pales in comparison of importance, right? If there is a God, and you claim there isn't, you're going to have a tough time when you die. Pascal would put it bluntly like this. He would tell his atheist friends, if there is no God, I don't wake up. If there is a God, you wake up hot. Now that sounds harsh. But it's true. Everything begins with God. But here's what's funny. We do this in Christianity. We say, okay, you're right. Everything is about God. We affirm, if you become a Christian, you say, I affirm there's a God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the only way to eternity. Jesus is God who came and lived a perfect life and died in my place for my sins. He rose, vindicating everything he said. He's going to come again. I agree with all that now. Let's talk about me. Don't we do that? I've had people tell me, come up to me after revolution and go, you know what? You preach the gospel every week. That's great. But what about practical problems? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry? What do you mean? Well, what about relationships? What about... I said, look, if you don't get this right, none of the rest of that is going to matter. Right? You start with God. But in Christianity, too often, the reason we have darkness between us and God is because we start with ourselves. It's we put ourselves first. When we wake up and we pray, do you begin prayer by worshiping God, thanking God for who He is and what He's done, or do you start with yourself? If I'm not thinking, I start with myself. Right? Do you do this? When you go to church, oh, I'm going to give you a little warning, okay? Because, you know, all right, so a lot of you go to Christ Community Church as well, right? So I preach there about once a month. So I go preach to 1,200 people, and I come preach to you 100 people. So you 100 get the inside skin, okay? Here, now you will know what not to do. Do not come up to me and say, whether I preached, someone else preached, whatever, and start talking about what you got out of the service. Right? Please do not. Yes, there's a pastor's wife back there. So yes, do not. That's right. You do not do that. Because it's not about you. Okay, if you come to church and the sermon stinks, and they often do. And even the best ones are too long. Right? You have still come and done what, hopefully? Worshipped. Recognizing there is someone, something greater than you, and, and praising that God. Yes? Hope 
this morning, it took everything I had. As I hadn't even, I mean, I barely walked in the door, put my mic on. And the hordes started coming out of the church. It's too loud. The music's too loud. I don't like the music that loud. I don't like those songs. Why can't they play some of the old songs? It took every bit of sanctification for me to go, well, it's not what, we do not come here to be entertained. We do not, it's about worshiping God. We start with God, but we tend to start with ourselves, Right? We have this skewed view. What's so strange is people who come to Christ, they hear the gospel, they hear about a holy God, they hear about their own sinfulness, they admit that, they cry, they weep, they write their name on the back of the Bible, they get dunked, they do all that kind of stuff. And then something strange happens. All that disappears. Right? And we start to see ourselves at the center of the universe. And we see God as his only job is to forgive us no matter what we do. Yes? When John is talking about light, we talked about darkness being confusion and despair and evil. When he talks about light, photos, he means authority. He means that this is how you see everything, and you cannot see anything right without this. God is the only source of authoritative truth. Everything has to be approved by God, or it's not true. If it doesn't come from God, it's not true. God is the ultimate arbiter of authority. And yet, people will go to the Bible... I meet with people every day for discipleship. We meet for an hour. I have had people look at me and say, the Bible cannot mean that. Why? It just can't. Why? Because I've got a friend who, because I did. And what you've done is you said that God must be love, but not light. You will decide what is true. And it's God's job to forgive you. And once again, what you have done is you have made it all about you. The reason why there is darkness between us and God, the reason why we try to have this unholy alliance with darkness is because we start with ourselves and not God. When you wake up every morning, you should thank God you have woken up that morning. When you eat, you should thank God that he has given you that food. Whenever anything happens to you, you should thank God for that. God always needs to come first, which means you need to worship no matter what the music is like, Ryan. And... <laughs> even acoustic, bro. And you need to worship 
And you need to always begin every prayer, everything with God first. Everything begins with God. Your life it will not be worth living until you're living for something other than your life. Does that make sense? That's just the way it is. I love you guys. Ryan loves you guys. Justin loves you guys. As we begin this anew with this new move, this new location, a new ministry, really, having kind of stepped away from the East End and handed that off to another church, we'll still help them with that, now bringing on a whole new area with the government housing over here and, and, and once again hitting the campus in the fall. We're, we're hitting Alt-Control-Delete. Everything starts over again. And we have a chance this time to learn from the mistakes we have made. When we started Revolution, myself being the worst of sinners, we had a chip on our shoulder about the church. And it's easy to get a chip on your shoulder about the church. It's really easy to get angry at the church. And as a preacher's kid, I was really, really, really angry at the church. And we spent a lot of time railing against the church. And a lot of what we said was true, but the problem is we didn't have any business talking about it. What we needed to be talking about was who God is, starting everything with God. And that's what we're going to do now. With you as the core group, we're going to launch again and start everything with God. God and try to make people understand that if they really want to live life, they need to lose the one they love. Now, we're going to worship in a second, but first, before we do, and next week we will pick up with fellowship and what does it mean to be a Christian in the church. But I want to ask um, Amy Lambert here, I want to ask her to come up for a few minutes before we worship and talk about... Um, just for a few minutes, who she is and what we're trying to do with a thing called City Invasion and trying to bring it here um, this fall, September, right? Okay. Um, is this mic okay, Ryan? We just set this up today, so we'll see. Um, I'm standing up here just to make sure it doesn't explode. Okay, there we go. Um, I'm just kidding. All right, so Amy, tell us first of all who you are. You're a preacher's kid, too. Yes. Grew up yes. in the church. Yeah left the church, yeah. and what happened to your life then? Basically, similar story, got angry at the church, pastor's kids, saw a lot of stuff as a right. kid, and so for my, for my personal journey, 12 years old, I dove into a lifestyle of drug addiction. So prescription drugs, that was my drug of choice, got hooked on Oxycontin by 15, hit the streets at 17, and ended up crack houses, heroin houses, Addicted to the needle um, and ended up to the point where I was injecting heroin and Oxycontin like 20 and 30 times a day. So ran away from God as far as I could run away from him. Um, but, you know, one thing about it, it's kind of like Jonah. You can run away from your calling, right. but you end up in the belly of a fish. Right. And so basically that's what happened to me. And God had marked my life from a child and started to have total strangers coming up to me telling me that he had a plan and purpose for my life. 
And so eventually I ended up in the hospital almost dead from my addiction with the needle. And that's when I was like, I'm done. And so I called on the name of Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, if you're real, you've got to take this addiction from me because I can't do it on my own. And that was my beginning of transformation. And God just totally changed my identity, showed me who he truly was. And it's like growing up in the church my whole life, I heard about Jesus, but I came to actually know Jesus. And that's where the transformation began in my life. And so God just truly put a passion in my heart to reach out to other people that were like I was. And so my journey led me to the inner city of St. Louis, where I spent three years living smack dead in the middle of the ghetto. And, um, you know, I would wake up every night to gunshots, helicopters flying over the facility, and going to the prostitutes, going to the gang members and the drug addicts, and sharing the love of Christ with them. And one of my favorite things about it is, like, people looking at me and looking at my life and saying, there's no way that you could have done any of those things, never smoked a cigarette, never did anything bad. And I'm like, man, I got the, the battle wounds, the scars on my arm to show where Jesus Christ delivered me from. And having, like, gang members, like, melt right there on the spot, and we're, like, praying, and they're accepting Christ, you know. So that was my passion into, and my journey into evangelism. And then from that, I ended up traveling to Africa and went with an evangelist named Reinhard Bonnke, does massive crusades in Africa, and started doing crusades. And so, you know, I tell people my preaching ministry did not start in America. It actually started in Africa. And over there, it's like I'm talking like the blind eyes being open, deaf ears being open, paralytics coming off of mats. And so God kind of ruined me early on in ministry. And I came back to America. I'm like, what is wrong with people? Like, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he still does miracles. But we don't believe it. And so after that, the Lord really put a vision in my heart back in 2009. It was like, you know, it's time to reach your generation. And so it's, it's a long journey. But basically, God was like, go rent out this football stadium up in West Virginia get Brian Welch, he's the guitarist from Corn. you guys probably heard of Brian before, um, and put together this big rock and rap concert that's going to reach out to people that they're not coming to the churches. And so it was a huge step of faith, $60,000 budget, but God put it on my heart and just started going and telling people about it. Never did a concert before, but the first event that we did, we ended up raising $70,000. The Lord just piled the finances in. We had like three or 400 volunteers at that event. And we had 8,000 people that came out. And I'm talking like, and listen, I got, I got no judgment against tattoos. I got a few myself. But tattoos, pierced, you know what I'm saying? Like all this and people that were far away from the Lord that came into our event. And, you know, we, me and Brian Welch, we share the gospel. He shares his story. I share mine. Give people an opportunity to respond to Christ. And then also we work with a lot of addiction recovery organizations to help people get off the streets, go through treatment. And help them get back and, you know, really the Lord put a vision on my heart to help raise up this Ezekiel 37 generation of the valley of dry bones. That once the Spirit of God comes inside of these people, they're going to be like, I am. And I know a lot of other people that have had radical transformations, you know, they become that exceedingly great army that are going to go back into those dark places and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so, long story short, I ended up getting connected with Portsmouth back in February uh, with a Celebrate Recovery meeting, and I really had no, no idea, you know, because I travel around the world, literally, and I, I didn't know anything about Portsmouth or anything like that, but felt a really strong connection to this area, 
And um, I, I, Bo, you know, they had wanted to bring City Invasion here. They thought they were going to have to sell me on it. But I walked up to them after the event and was like, man, we got to bring this here because of the substance abuse problem. And so that's what we're in the process of. And I love the vision of this ministry. And I've heard a lot about it. And I'm, if I was here, I know I'd be totally connected to, to Revolution. So it's an honor to come and speak to you guys. And hopefully, you know, if this comes about in September, you guys will get involved and volunteer and hit the streets and invite some folks out that need to be there, okay? Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you, Amy. All right, so Ron, if you guys want to come on up, and, and what we really want you to do is start praying about this. We really want to see this um, happen. Um, if nothing else, for the irony, when I first became a Christian, I was a Christian less than a year when I went to seminary, and you know, I had just quit smoking, so I blew up. I told you about that this morning, and, and, and so my wife was like, hey, you want to go like jog or something? And so, yeah, and I went, and so I'd go jog, and, and back in the day, we used to have, this was before iPod, this was 1998, I used to jog with a, with a disc man, you remember those? Remember those? It's like running with a pothole cover, wasn't it? And so you would, and I would go, I would go run around with, and I, and I was sorry, I was at seminary at Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Texas, and the thing was, I hated Christian music, and most of you know, I still pretty much do. But um, I, I, you know, I just like, I know, you, you know what it's like. I mean, I'm sorry, God bless you all, but you turn on K Love, and it's like holy water to Linda Blair. It's like it burns. Um, so I, I, and so. <laughs> The, the irony of all of this is that if we can pull this off, we can raise, if God can do this, really, if we can raise the $60,000 and get the 300 volunteers and we bring in Amy and, and, and Brian Head Welsh's, I used to jog to corn around Abilene Christian University, so that'll be ironic. Um, so be praying for that, and we'll be looking for you guys to, to help out with that, and we really hope we can do it here and really hit... Um, the East End and Wall Street and everything, and just and get as many people, thousands of people. Amy's done this past you guys many six thousand before, right? And so we want thousands of people there for a free concert, a free evening, where we can make this happen and reach people for the gospel. So please be praying for that. Be reading through First John. We're going to be spending a lot of time with it. We'll go to verse seven next week and just do verse seven. But just remember, it all begins with God. And now, what we're going to do is we're going to worship. God. Let's pray, and then we're going to stand up and worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. I thank you for Amy and her, and what you've done in her life and what you're doing through her. I thank you for everyone here as we've gone from a gym to a building that, that was wonderful when we moved in and now is the set of software. But we, we thank you for that, that we had years in that building that you gave us. And now that we're here and starting a whole new, really, ministry to reach out, we pray that you will bless it, and we pray that it will be all about you. It will not be about us, but it will be all about you. And that the people here, every single person here will be a leader who really comes to see that only a life of sacrifice and giving glory and honor to you is worth living. And we may we worship you as such now in Jesus' name. Amen.